personal views and opinions expressed by our podcast guests are their own and are not legal advice or official statements by their organizations. Hello, my name is Debbie Reynolds. They call me the Data Diva. This is the Data Diva Talks Privacy Podcast, where we discuss data privacy issues with industry leaders around the world with information that businesses need to know now. I have a very special guest on the show, all the way from Copenhagen, uh, Bianca Lopez. Uh, she is a, a fin, fintech innovator, a mathematician, someone who's interested in identity. Uh, she is the co-founder of uh, Tally. And she does a ton of different things. So you have a show, uh, Be In The Know, your Be In The Know show. You and I had the pleasure of meeting. We collaborated on a panel together uh, for the Open Making World Congress in, uh, in Spain. Uh, so that was, that was fun for us to do together. We did something on kind of consent and, and banking and finance. And you're such an effervescent personality and you're so knowledgeable in all these different spheres. So I would love for you to tell people about yourself, your your journey, which I think is fascinating because you touch on all these different fun areas that I like to talk about as well in technology. Debbie, thanks for inviting me here. Uh, thanks everybody who's out there listening uh, to this wonderful diva, but just like <laughs> gem spark of a human in person. So I was excited because I remember writing the did you know post that I posted of you on my LinkedIn when I was kind of like creeping on you and the things you talk about. Um, well, I guess we'll start with where I was born and like where I spend most of my time. Like I grew up actually in Brazil and Rio. Um, and I think that gives you a little bit of perspective in life, um, just of inequality. So sort of had a chip on my shoulders of wanting to change the world. Uh, thought I was going to be a diplomat, moved all the way to Canada, um, ended up studying economics and political science there. And quite quickly realized I wanted to be an entrepreneur. I was a swimmer at the time and, you know, spending a lot of time in the pool. And like, let's just say I had a really nice coach person that said to me, you know, you're not going to really be an Olympia. You might want to do something else. So I found entrepreneurship uh, through sort of a necessity of having to pay for international tuition. And I've had like the most strange businesses that got me to identity. I've started with like a painting and drywalling business. I've done like a B Corp certification company. We were like recycling up fabric and building sort of a sustainable business model before this was like cool. Um, working with WWF. Uh, so I always had a side of me that cared about, you know, the world and why we do business, why we create value. Uh, funny enough, I've been a banker. <laughs> so I've worked for RBC. I've worked in risk. I've worked in futures. Um, I've worked in commercial banking. And I started my identity career kind of backwards, didn't really know um, what I was getting into. I started in the access control space. So uh, for people out there, I was learning how sock rooms operated and working with some of the largest data centers in North America. And at the time, I was working with things like biometrics, which um, about a decade and a half ago were kind of weird and are kind of still a bit minority report. And it got me really interested in what was behind it. And not only from a privacy perspective, how the technology worked, 
um, who was behind it, who would have access to it. And, you know, my job there was growing the company and turning the company to sell biometrics to banks because that's all I knew. I knew the banking industry. So where do you start as an entrepreneur growing a company? You go to the people you know and you say, hey, what do you think about this thing? And um, quite quickly understood, you know, the nuances of uh, authentication, identification. And I think some of the things we laughed about last time we were together were um, around the fact that, you know, the identity industry is a bit to blame for this. We, we make things super complicated. And um, yeah, a lot of what my journey brought me here today. I'm an investor. I, uh, I'm still a builder. Uh, I back people that are building things. I've worked um, with the Gates Foundation and consulting for some of the largest identity projects around the world, just because I'm curious. And I've been trying to get to the bottom of like, how do these biometric systems work? What happens when, you know, uh, Russia and uh, Visa were working to launch the DBS, which is a digital biometric system. What happened when, you know, the Adar had a biometric system that was constitutional? What happened to privacy then? So I've always just been in these interesting <laughs> projects out of just stream curiosity to um, figure it out. How can technology really change the world and, and uh, what can it really do? And, and yeah, that's that's a little bit about me, <laughs> a little bit a lot about me, but uh, I hope that's valuable context. <laughs> yeah, that, that's great context, actually. Um, I think when we talk about identity, and I, I just want your thoughts about this. So I I, um, I spoke at an identity conference, I don't know, about four years ago. And, you know, this is before COVID and everything. And they were very gracious to invite me as a privacy person into their space. So I work a lot with they, identity uh, people. They need all the privacy people there. <laughs> we need to talk to each other and understand that the hack that we're building is actually all connected. But hey, oh, that's another conversation. It absolutely <laughs> is. But I mean the thing that I said there is like identity in the future is going to be like the center of everything. So we're seeing the shift away from kind of what corporations want to the rise of individual rights and all that centers around, in my view, identity. And then for you being in kind of a finance or financial or banking space, understanding that intersection, it sort of puts you in the middle of everything because I feel like a lot of these innovations they start, they they come to the public from banking. I think banking kind of leads the way. What, what are your thoughts about that? Uh, well, lots to unpack there about banking leading the way to innovation to the end consumer. I see what you mean in terms of value. I think that's been like dramatically changing in the sense of, you know, I think a lot of the innovations, whether good or bad, came to consumers through Phones as a means, as a channel, but a lot of obviously our connected, beloved internet and web too. What I get excited about um, when I think about identity in this space and in this context, it is in the center of everything, not, not because it's just the new hottest trend, it's just foundational to building systems. And I think that's where a lot of us went wrong. And, um, you know, it's kind of hard to, and, and that doesn't mean anonymity, and that doesn't also mean uh, pseudonymity or knowing everything. Um, I think this like notion of privacy and boundaries is a really interesting one when we start talking about plugging everything. You know, when you connect everything and everything now starts to have two-way communication and exchange of value and exchange of data, um, you no longer have a one-way <laughs> situation, which is what Web3 would allow some of these things to do. Um, the notion of knowing who you're dealing with and the things that you have and temporary custody and some of these other nuances of consent 
become very important um, foundations for the infrastructure. So I, I, I do believe that maybe, you know, I've been beating the drum for maybe 10 years, just actually 13 years around identity and maybe now <laughs> it's the center, but I think it will be for a while. Like a lot of these systems we build, you know, peripheries because it's almost like we didn't expect these things to grow and to grow exponentially from a data perspective. So we build a lot of security around it. And now when you're like breaking things apart and, and creating new models of exchange, you're going to have to build new ways of conserving boundaries, new ways of identifying things and people and stuff and machines. And yeah, so it's cool. It's cool to see the change. Not fast enough, though. You know, no, definitely, definitely not. Uh, well, one thing I love, love your thoughts about, and this is related to open banking. So I think we're, we're having two things that are happening simultaneously. We have people who may be afraid to share, right? So they want to find ways to preserve their own data and their information. But then we also have these ecosystems with open banking where uh, there are many different types of ways that people uh, consume finance or financial products and having having banks around the world try to help facilitate that to kind of create create less friction. So in one way, we're saying we want things more closed, right, in, in a way, but then also open. So how can we have it both ways? Uh, that's right. Identity comes in. Yeah. <laughs> we can have it both ways by defining, you know, identity. We normally think of like in a KYC space and we normally think of an static thing or like an all or nothing. Like you have all my information and you know me, um, identity is actually really just like the attribute that you can use in a contextual time. And like, just like all of us, we have many identities and many ways in which we interact with them. So that's how you can have it all. You can have a world where, you know, um, if we really look at identity in the metaverse as an example as a primitive, or we look at it in the layer one protocols, which is like, I'm a super advocate of. And I think a lot of what's happening in the market uh, you can point back to uh, identity being not the savior of it all, but certainly a foundation to prevent some concentrations in the market that could have uh, led us into different places. And I, and I think you see that a lot in, you know, soulbound NFTs and Web5 talking about security, privacy and identity. I think some people see the writing on the wall of this necessity, where I think it's interesting from an open banking and open data perspective is you know, the consumer will care when they realize that, when they can realize the true value of the connectivity of our lives. Like when people talk about, you know, knowing that I care about sustainability and I also care about CBDC creates a Venn diagram that you can sell to me, right? It's been talked about it for years in the ad duopoly. When now this becomes something I can participate in and uh, maybe through a plaid or maybe through a value exchange of true layer or maybe through my bank, that is, that is the true value out of the people I will allow to be the discretionary manager of my data, which I think it's kind of a, like an interesting concept of custody, which I think is where the future of open data really leads us, is like, you know, where's the cheapest cost to settle on this transaction? That's why I want to use this. I want to see the benefit on the end of consumers and, you know, wealth more equally distributed. And I think that's what gets me super excited. What do you think about... Uh, getting people into identity systems. So we know for those who are, you know, very connected, you know, like us and technology, 
we don't have problems getting into our degree systems. But I think a lot of these innovations can't reach everyone because we're having trouble getting people in the identity system. So tell me a little bit about that problem, a problem of access, problem of um, uh, having people in systems where they can actually take advantage of all these innovations. Um, so the problem of people not having access or people just information being vulnerable, which one do you want to tackle first? We'll Let's say People, there's, there's aspects to that question. <laughs> there are, there are. Let's talk about just getting people into systems and then talk about the vulnerability after. Cool. So getting people into systems, well, we suck. Uh, we suck because the incentive structures actually don't suck. They're quite correct. Uh, when you look at the people making money and identity, it's been the hands of a few. And um, so it's, it's um, you know, even the way we make money on KYC and the way we make money on data duplication, it's it's kind of just archaic, and there's lots that I think that can change with some of the SSI principles that technically come to bear. Um, the we we we've excluded about two billion people still, uh, or undermined. It. You know, you look at Adar as an example. You know, there's entire birthing naming agencies that have put you know entire generations to be birthed on the same day on the same time and, you know, have ignored the fact that people are actually born in different times because the infrastructure is just not there to support it. And there's just no lack of, um, you know, public commitment to people's, uh, the importance of perhaps what that credential effectively carries. What gets interesting and exciting on the technology side, not only from a biometric perspective or from other technologies, is this ability of um, enabling people to prove something fundamentally they can prove if they were standing in front of your face is that they are here and they do exist and that they are Bianca or whatever, whomever they claim they are, and they can start adding attributes. So, you know, the barrier of inclusion goes down from a technological perspective because it enables something for us humans to do that we can do if we were all living in a small village, um, which I think is a fundamental right to own who you are. And I think some of these technologies start to scratch the surface of what, you know, human rights um, sort of adherence could look like in a technological space. Excellent, excellent. I would love your thoughts on, on privacy and how privacy sort of sneaks in. So I think traditionally when people were building these digital systems, they yeah. were very focused on cybersecurity. So let's protect Let's gather all this information and put it behind some wall and protect yeah. it that way, right? But then what we see is, is globally, there are more individuals are gaining more rights. So organizations need Blinding to... Back. Right, exactly, exactly. So or organizations are really needing to rethink that whole, well, let's just put build a wall around it, but you still have obligations that you're continuing to have as a result of all these new laws and regulations around privacy. So tell me how privacy kind of snuck in here and what are your thoughts here? Uh, I think snuck in here, not fast enough and not loud enough. I think it's seen, seen as a compliance exercise versus an exercise of boundaries and an exercise of value creation. Because I think that's the future of like any, that's actually the foundation of any healthy relationship. <laughs> if you kind of think about it, when you think about it from a bank or a digital service provider, you often forget 
um, you know, uh, how much am I giving for how much am I getting kind of rule that this allows you to do privacy allowed you to say, to, to talk about those boundaries and, and, you know, sometimes it's really great to have regulation because it forces, as you said, corporations to understand the liability that they have, uh, the compliance exercise they need to do. What I think it's often not there yet is seen as an opportunity of change and an opportunity to engage that relationship and regain more trust. So I think privacy sneaks in not fast enough and loud enough, but it sneaks in like in an interesting way that the ones who have seen the opportunity in the light understand that, hey, this is a chance for me to build better systems, for me to look at partners, for me to look at transparency in my UX and conversation, and for me to also understand where the boundaries of my ethical business, you know, value creation really resides. Yeah. I agree with that. I love that you pose it as a healthy relationship. I think that's like a great analogy because what we see, uh, what I see the future companies struggling with, if you can't build a relationship with someone, you're going to have kind of less data and less accurate data. Also, you know, you're written something on your LinkedIn about uh, privacy and trust and about, you know, having, for example, um, providing a secret to someone that you expect them to, you know, keep your confidence, right? That's, and when they betray that, that is a betrayal of trust. And so how much do you want to share with these folks? So I think it goes back to relationship. What are your thoughts? I think it totally goes back to relationships. I think it's back to human principle fundamentals of like, you know, we've heard banks or some large institutions talk about trust. We also seen it erode in their share value. Uh, or their ability to attract talent, which then eventually would erode and their share value or their market share growth. Um, sure, banks right now will make some money because of interest spreads, but neither here nor there. I think it's like a long-term commitment to understanding where you stand and kind of what you're really good at. Like, why am I here as an organization? Like, I think, you know, sometimes consultants or freelancers are faced with that question on a daily grind. You know, what value do you bring? Sometimes organizations, when they're well-established, tend to forget. Um, and, and, and I think that that's what uh, the being bringing it back to, to, to trust in this relationship of a secret or betrayal. It's, you know, and, and I think you're starting to see a lot of technology changes to saying transparency, accountability, the blockchain principles are around that. So when that happens and people start to realize, wait a minute, uh, part of my data sets are being sold by some of these financial institutions for years, even though it's like, and I didn't get a penny and I have to pay to keep my stuff. They're like, wait a minute, right? Like, it's just, we haven't made it that obvious and that clear uh, to people to question. And yeah, we're all super busy or zombied out. I don't know which one of the two, um, but I think time for that accountability and conversation, I hope is coming. Um, and I, and I think brands better listen to the crazy people on this podcast. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that, you know, there's an asymmetrical relationship right now between what the value that people give versus the value that they get. So I think having those levels of transparency may help right the ship to some extent, at least make it less asymmetrical so that people can really see the true value. And, you know, I tell companies, if, if an individual trusts you, they'll give you better data, right? They'll give you more data because they trust you with it. So I think it's only a benefit to those organizations. Um, what, what, what's happening in the world 
right now that's concerning you the most around either identity, privacy, personally or professionally? What's happening in the world in privacy and identity? Um, Well, what's not happening? Uh, We're still not agreeing. We're still not getting to a conversation about our standards and drop rating. Um, You look at EIDAS in Europe and, you know, what's happened with like the Belgium announcement and conversation about having monopolies in a business that needs much change. And I talked to you about, you know, how do we build a foundation and the primitives for identity for all these new things we want to build? We have an opportunity to rebuild, you know, the metaverse or, you know, values of storage like NFTs. And we're here talking about monopolies and not public and private partnerships and not academic discovery and not enough R&D. So that concerns the hell out of me because I still see a room full of egos and a not willingness to, you know, just maybe not be the smartest person in the room for once and build another acronym because, we're a small industry, identity, privacy, even though we're massive and, you know, some of the fines or some of the deals and software in both of our industries are ginormous and considerable. Um, yeah, that scares me. <laughs> so I guess it's our lack of playing nice in the sandbox together as human beings. Um, that scares the crap out of me. Right. And it also scares me that we're not using it for things like the horrendous things that are happening in the world. So I often say to people... You know, I've been um, starting up a fund around sustainability and identity, and I'm doing lots of interesting things around understanding how does this technology work for us to get anywhere in our goals? Like, how do we get to any 2030 goals as an example using things? Like, where is privacy used to hide information in today's, you know, binary construct? Where is it used for good? Like, and how do we kind of accelerate those things? So... Yeah, that concerns me. Those those uh, unconnected conversations concern me because I don't know. I still see a world suffering and on fire. So yeah, so somehow, some way, I feel like we need to. In order to right the ship, we have to bring back the idea that whatever we we do with data or technology has to, at its core, benefit the individual. So right now we see things that benefit corporations. They benefit, like you say, the egos in the room, but they don't really benefit individuals. So I'm looking forward to a time where, you know, it that is not like a nice to have. You know, it's not like a, oh, well, you know, we do these. Oh, that's cute. Yeah, that's you're cute, cute right. <laughs> that's nice. Oh, that's nice. And I'm like, can you do what? Right, right. Where it has to but, be something that's And you build this for what? Yeah, it's a it's an economic imperative. Right now, we just have kind of this underbelly, you know, multi-billion dollar industry, especially in data brokering, where it doesn't really benefit the individual and people don't know what they're doing. So bringing in, finding ways to bring transparency to that and make it sort of not valuable to be able to do that in some ways. So that's why I think it's one of our biggest challenges. What are your thoughts? I say, where do I sign and start helping for that to be transparent and like how to make people care, right? How do we make the people outside of listening to this wonderful community and your data diva podcast care? Like, I think it has to hit home that this is a value. You know, if you just go back to the, the basics of, you know, everybody can understand time to a certain extent, everybody can understand the notion of time. 
And the notion of, you know, their contribution, oh, wait a minute, I do spend three hours on TikTok or Facebook or Instagram or Google or whatever. Um, I do create value in some ways and some business models. I don't help the planet. I don't do this. Like, can you create incentive? Like, that's where I get really excited about Web3. It's like, can you create incentive structures, not use human feelings and emotions for doing good, for creating something that fosters, like, I don't know, our culture, sports, intelligence, kindness, the environment, caring. Like, so I get very excited about trying to fix that, to be optimistic on that side. And I, and I, I think you're totally right. We need to do it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. One thing I end up working on, uh, in addition is biometrics. And I, I don't know about you. I get frightened a lot of times when I see some of the things people are trying to do in biometrics. And that's one reason why I'm, I like to, you know, play in that space because, I feel like you can't just complain and be upset about it. You have to do something. <laughs> so you want to be in the room when people are having these wacky conversations and trying to do these. Yeah, when they're talking crazy about things. dominating the world and yeah. Hey. Right. <laughs> where 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 do you think where do you think we're going with biometrics, especially, you know, as I see people in finance, they're kind of leading in this space in terms of how people um uh interact with biometrics a lot of it ends up in my view starting in finance yeah so the question is like where do i see this going for biometric space people or the finance industry in general well i think the finance uh industry in general but then also from a people perspective uh, i think people are used to it Mm, I think people are, uh, you know, they've been trained. That's what Apple does really well since they bought Acuity, which is like the fingerprint reader, the first biometric that went into the phone. Um, and and when you look at uh, what the finance industry is trying to do, they're still thinking of biometrics for the most part around as a KYC tool, so as an attribute. So as an identification, very few, but as an authentication mechanism more than anything else which I think it still shows how invent they are in some of the application. Like when you look at some countries, honestly, like Brazil that have been playing with biometrics since, I don't know, 2003, actually in the late nineties, some of the banks like Itaú had invested heavily in ATMs. Um, and that's why the public got so comfortable so fast. Um, I, I expect us to see a conversation I hope we have a conversation about privacy again. This feels like about 10 years ago with some of the new, you know, you're starting to see poem veins again with young entrepreneurs into the market. You're starting to see some of the facial recognition companies going into like credentials for travel, credentials for health, which concern me on a few levels of uh, one of them we can talk about very simple is like data storage, right? There's massive amounts of centralized databases of biometrics everywhere around the world. So as an investor, I'm constantly looking at companies that are, you know, doing something to change this, like an Onabit as an example. Like how these are vulnerabilities that it's great to have the technology, has incredible potential, um, is often applied very simplistically, not to the full foundational value of identity or an attribute. It seldomly has cryptographic capacities or components like zero knowledge proofs that are the best. Because unfortunately, this business is still very um, polluted with a lot of vendors and a lot of noise. 
Uh, so you see a lot of banks sometimes and financial institutions implementing things and creating actually, you know, they want to store things in their own clouds. So they create actually like liabilities for themselves without really thinking it all the way through, even though, yeah, the consumer is used to it. Yeah, it is a better onboarding experience. Yes, perhaps is easier and it's definitely uh, more secure than a traditional password. And we all are well aware of that already. Yeah, I think that that's true. So I think when people try to implement these new toys, sometimes they don't think about the added risk uh, that they're bringing into their organization. So they have to be more, you know, get more wise about what they're doing. Um, you know, like uh, companies that want to implement like biometrics um, in, in applications, they're definitely creating more risk for themselves, especially around the retention of that data. So the capture and the retention, that's kind of an issue. But I think people forget once they do the capture, you know, they want to keep everything forever, which creates a, a huge risk. So I tell companies when you have data that has like a low business value, it has a high data privacy and cyber risk. So being able to sort of understand what that cutoff is, and it isn't as easy as saying, oh, delete this every, you know, seven years or whatever, you know, it's like once you, once you, once someone's proved their identity, you have to really think as an organization, should, you know, how long do we need to keep this information? So I think that's a, that's a huge area of risk that I think almost any company has. And I think that things need to change in terms of the way companies think about that risk because it's huge. What are your thoughts? I think you're totally right. Uh, what I don't like to go into is just that, yes, because it's more risk than don't use it at all, because we then often don't compare to the existing risk we have with Asian systems or passwords or some of these other things. It's actually take the step into the right direction of foundational transformation and change, but understand the foundations of the technology and understand, as you said, the long-term consequences of your architecture decisions or your vendor-supplier relationships which lead into, okay, do I have dependency? Do I have duplications? Like how many points of vulnerability? And I think invest in that knowledge and that understanding and don't think you can do it yourself because a lot of these, you know, even if I look at biometrics, like it's kind of like a bit arrogant when some of these banks say, you know, I'm going to build the best voice system in the world or the best finger voice. Like some of these things are entire businesses and like entire, you know, massive amounts of data and dedication and, and, and algorithm and, and um, mathematical excellence and cryptographic excellence. So it's like, even then, then understand, you know, what are your then points of failure as an organization? Do you need to really, you can leverage services. Like that's why, Web3 and some of these things that are more decentralized or understand the value of co-creating almost the magic formula to get to the value for the client instead of have. And I know that that requires, you know, massive regulatory conversations and changes that we need to do as an industry collectively, but I hope to see a lot of that. Yeah. Yeah. So if we were the world according to Bianca and we did everything that you said, what would be your wish for privacy or identity anywhere around? The world life? doesn't exist because the world shouldn't be anywhere that one person can do everything. <laughs> <laughs> the world, like, please don't put me in that world. Um, <laughs> sorry. Um, 
What was the end of the question? Oh, I said, so if it were the world, according to Bianca, we did everything that you said, what would be your wish for identity or privacy or uh, open finance? My wish, open freedom, my wish is for human freedom and equality. And, uh, and for us to realize that a lot of us got trapped in some perception and some construct that we were told was the right way to go, whether that is as philosophical as it sounds or as basic as, you know, why does KYC have to continue to be the way it is? Why have privacy laws, some of them not evolved in 20 years? So I think what I wish for is for us to accept sort of what is, take account of that in a very open sort of unlearning worthy conversation and uh, build better from there. And the world's definitely not somewhere that I get to tell the rules. That is not my <laughs> ideal world. <laughs> Anybody for that yes, matter. Yes, yes, yes. Well, we have to unlearn some bad habits and we have to relearn new things to be able to move forward in the world in a way that benefits organizations, but also doesn't harm individuals. Or maybe in a way that benefits humanity and the planet, and then we can figure it out what kind of organizations we need to have to keep everybody well. I just, yeah, I sound utopian, but I, you know, that's um, that's what one is born to do. <laughs> that's right. Exactly. We have to strive for something. So that's great. That's great. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast. You've been, you know, you're such a shining star and a great advocate for humans and technology. That's why we get along so well. And yeah, thank you for being on the show. This is fantastic. Thank you for having me, Debbie. You're a light. And then just keep doing what you're doing. We need to like scream and shout or actually maybe not scream and shout, just dance and tell people, hey, come be over here. We bloom over here, this change over here. So keep doing what you're doing. And thanks oh. for talking to me. Thank you. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Bye, dear.